And as you know, I think we've been going through a series of teachings on James, and we come to James 4, verse 1 to 10 today. And I want to ask you to look for what it says, if you can find anything, about humility. James 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. What do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Did you find anything there about humble or humility? Mentioned just twice, and yet the whole passage is about humility and about the opposite of humility, which is pride. Now, apart from those who were at the early service, how would you define humility? What does it mean to be humble? Anyone want to take a stab at it? What does it mean to you? And then we'll see what James has to say about it. What does it mean to be humble? I'm not going to say you're wrong, by the way, so you can... It's not? It's not to think you're better than everyone else, or to think of yourself above everyone else. Absolutely. Any other takes? It's not to be self-assertive. What else? What is humility? To respect others even more perhaps than you respect yourself. Okay, what is the opposite? What, what is pride? How would you define pride? <coughs> that you think you're better than everybody else. Humility there seems to be a way to and a listening, but if you are proud, 
away from nobody. You just dive in there and say, I, I, I. I, I, I. So there's a timing thing. Yes. Okay, so it seems to me that the, the key word when we're talking about pride is self or me. Pride is about being self-centered. I come first and everyone else takes second place if they take any place at all. And so James warns us at the beginning of chapter 4 against the cravings that come when it's me first. I want, you know, I've got, I've got uh, three and a half, four and a half grandchildren now, four and a half grandchildren. And one of the things that they all say to us is, I want popcorn, or I want this. And then we, every time we say, how do you ask properly? And then they say, please, may I have some popcorn? And if their sister's got the popcorn and they haven't got it, what do they do? Sometimes we're all like that. We have these, these cravings. And the three big things that people tend to crave for are money. Is there anyone here who would like to have some more money? <laughs> you know, they did a survey once and they asked people from the richest people to the poorest people how much money they needed to live. And everybody said they needed about 10% more than what they had. People crave money. And so if we let that control us, then it becomes a very destructive thing. It can lead to corruption. It can lead to living for money instead of money being there to help us to live. Or sex. Sex is another driving thing if it's in the wrong place. If we use it to satisfy ourselves or if we use it as a means of power instead of using it in marriage where it belongs, it becomes a destructive thing and people get destroyed by it. Or power. Power corrupts. The more power you have, the more temptations there are to be corrupt. One of the things that illustrated that to me was an interview I heard with a good Limpopo citizen, Julius Malema, a few years ago. And Julius was asked, this was just after President Thabo Mbeki was deposed. And in the interview he was asked, people say you were plotting against President Mbeki. How do you answer that? And he said, of course I was. That's what we do in politics. So politics, he was saying, is about power for me. And as long as it suits me to support someone, I'll support him. But if I can trample on him to get up higher, then I'll trample on him to get higher. And so James says all these things that are about me first lead to conflict and fights and quarrels, even to crime, even to committing murder. And there seem to have been a spate recently of murders where husbands have killed their wives to get the insurance or to get a lover or whatever it is that they want. Watch out, wives. <laughs> Father's Day. <clears throat> and James says that even our spirituality can be all mixed up. You ask, well, first of all, you haven't got because you didn't ask God. 
But then when you ask, you ask out of the wrong motives. Very tempting for our prayers even to be self-centered, whereas our prayers are meant to be God-centered. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he said, God, please take this away from me, but not my will. Your will be done. That's what we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. But isn't it tempting rather to pray, God, I want this. I've heard many people say, I've said to God, if he will only let me win the lottery, then I'll give 10% of the money to him. I've been tempted to say that. But that's a me-centered prayer. It's not a God-centered prayer. It's the opposite of humility. It's pride. Being proud is, says James, being seduced by the world. You adulterous people. It's like adultery. Because we're not worshipping God, we're worshipping someone else. Ourselves. And verse 5, I struggle to understand what verse 5 was saying. Do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that he has caused to dwell in us? I found that very difficult to understand until I read what the message, Eugene Peterson, how he translated it. He said, God is a fiercely jealous lover. God wants to be first in our lives. And if we are first, then God can't be in that place. And what are the results of this pride? James tells us all about it. He says that's why there are conflicts and disputes. If you think of the pride that was present behind the system of apartheid that said one lot of people are better than others, it led to all sorts of conflicts and disputes. Those who enforced apartheid were full of conflict and dispute and those who were trying to overcome it were fighting and the whole nation was fighting amongst ourselves. It leads to crime, as we said, abuse of women and children, murder, stealing, wanting for ourselves. It leads to unanswered prayer because how can I pray and be heard by God if I'm full of pride. Remember the parable Jesus told of the Pharisee and the tax collector and the Pharisee said, oh God, thank you for making me so good. Thank you that I'm so holy. Thank you that I'm so wonderful and so much better than him. And the tax collector got down on his knees and said, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Which prayer did God hear? The tax collector's prayer. Because he was humble. So pride kind of forms a barrier. It prevents us from being able to hear what God is saying. And it prevents God from answering our prayers. In fact, in verse 4, it says, If we are friends with the world, if we are influenced by the world, if we take on the values of the world, we become enemies of God. We're unsure of God's love. And so this pride becomes a vicious circle that drags us down to death. We think we're the greatest so we live for ourselves so other people don't like us and God doesn't hear our prayers and we get more and more miserable. On the other hand, James talks about the life-giving cycle that comes 
from humility. And we find that in verse 6, James chapter 4, verse 6, God gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. If we humble ourselves before God, it opens the way for him to pour his grace, his blessing into our lives. And whenever God blesses us, he blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. That's what God wants you to be. A blessing to others. Not someone who's saying me first, but someone who's saying, how can I serve you? How can I help you? How can I make your life better today? We had an experience. Colleen, Colleen said how we got our internet yesterday. We had our fiber and they came and installed the fiber and they switched it on and then the guy said, cool, it's working, bye. And then I tried to connect with my phone and it connected but there was no internet. Ah, what a frustration. And eventually we phoned the helpline and they said, no, we're offline at the moment. Oh no, we've got this internet and we can't use it. And then what was her name? Chantal. Cynthia. Cynthia phoned me from Afrihost. And Cynthia was wonderful. She spent about an hour because they hadn't set it up properly, helping me to undo what they had done and redo everything. And then voila, on it came. But the wonderful thing was the attitude of this person, Cynthia. She was just there to bless me. And so... We had a wonderful conversation. At the end, I could say, tell your boss you're the best person they've got there. We blessed each other because, well, I knew that I knew nothing about how to connect this thing, and she was willing to help. If we're willing to be a blessing to others, it kind of spreads the blessing around, and other people are able to bless other people, and it changes the world. We become confident in God's love. Fathers, if you are confident that God loves you, then what a blessing you can be to your children. And for those who don't have, for those children who don't have fathers, what a blessing we can be to them as well. Let's do that. And so God exalts those who humble themselves. In verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will lift you up. You see the cycle of life that comes when we humble ourselves. God can bless us so that we become a blessing to others. Now the most important question is how. How to be humble. And James gives us some very good pointers about how to be humble. Starting in verse 7. You see... I can't be humble by trying harder to be humble. I can't grit my teeth and say, I will be humble today. It's not going to work. Somebody is said to have written a book, Humility and How I Achieved It. Well, do you think he did? <laughs> we can't do it in our own strength. So how do we do it? And James tells us, first of all, in verse 7, Submit yourselves then to God. In other words, 
surrender to God. Hand over control of your life to God. God, I'm not going to look out for myself first. I'm going to look out for you first. The Christian faith is a faith of surrender, of handing over, of letting God take control of our lives. That's number one. Number two, in verse eight, no, second half of verse seven, resist the devil and he will flee from you. The devil will tempt you to want that cell phone that someone else has got or to want that whatever it is that someone else has got. But instead say, no, as, as we saw in that video, get behind me, Satan. I reject your ideas because I'm following God's ideas. The devil may try to speak into your life that you are rubbish. Try to lower your self-esteem. And then you need to say, uh-uh, I'm a child of God. And God didn't make rubbish as his children. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Someone told me once, and it really works, that every time you get tempted, start praying for the missionaries in China or somewhere else. Because then the devil will stop tempting you because he doesn't like the missionaries to get so much prayer. Whatever it is, when you're tempted or when the devil tries to make you feel down, turn to God in prayer. And that's the way to resist him. And he will flee. Then in verse 8, he says, Come near to God, draw near to God, and God will come near to you. The third thing you can do to grow humility is to make a daily habit of drawing near to God. Take some time. It doesn't matter whether it's in the morning or in the evening or at lunchtime. Take some time and set it apart for God. Read the Word. Pray. Tell God what's on your heart. Listen to what God may have to say to you. Get into the habit of chatting to God all the time as you're driving in the car, as you are shopping, whatever you may be doing. Get into the habit of being in fellowship, in, in conversation with God. And as you draw near to God, God will draw near to you and his character of humility will begin to form more and more within you. Then he says in verse 8, the second half in verse 9, Repent, wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Because as we, as we look at God, as we draw near to God, we begin to realize how far short we fall. Not so? No matter how hard I try, I keep failing. And so I need to come back to God and say, God, I'm sorry, I've messed up. We need to be honest with ourselves. Humility is being honest with ourselves and confessing to God that we fall short. Because, Scripture says, if we confess our sins to God, what does He do? He forgives us and cleanses us from our unrighteousness. So repentance is an important part of humility. And then the last thing in verse 10, humble yourself before the Lord. And I looked up what that word humble means in the original, and it doesn't just mean sort of being contrite, it means getting on your knees, fall on your knees before God. It means falling on your face before God. God, you are great. I live for you. 
I surrender to you. As Jesus said in Matthew 6 verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these other things will be added to you. It's an attitude of surrender to God. So let's respond by being quiet for a moment. Thank you, Father, for Jesus, who, although he had every right to be proud as the Son of God, chose instead to be humble, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey instead of a white horse, stooping to wash the feet of his disciples, emptying himself in order to serve and even to die upon the cross. Thank you for Jesus. Today, Lord, we humble ourselves. We submit our lives to you and ask you to take control of our lives. have a sense in my heart that some of us are feeling quite bad because we realize how far short we've fallen of this humility. And God just wants to say to you, I love you and as you turn to me I forgive you and wash you clean. You are my beloved child. So let me form Jesus in you more and more every day. Charlie is going to lead us in prayer. God, fountain of all wisdom, we pray for all Christian people, for our bishops and archbishops, for all Christian leaders, and for those who teach and guard the faith. May the word of Christ dwell richly in our hearts and knit us together in the bond of your love. Hear us. Hear us, Lord.
We pray for the leaders of the nations and for those in authority under them. Give them the gift of your wisdom and the right discernment in all things. Yes. Yes, Lord. We pray for our community of Mowbray and our city, for those who live and work here, and for those who visit this place. Speak your word of peace in our midst and help us to serve one another as Christ has served us. Yes. Yes, Lord. 